Hey, 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 it's your host Martin Kessler, and welcome back here to Why I Built This, a sub series of the 20 Minute Fitness Podcast. On every episode, I'm really trying to bring to you an entrepreneur, an inventor, beside an exciting startup company that is really trying to make a difference in the health and fitness industry. In today's episode, we've got Connor Young, the founder of Ample Foods, and he's pretty much our neighbor here in San Francisco, and he doesn't really fit the regular convention for most Silicon Valley entrepreneurs. Why? Simply because Connor and his team actively promote a much healthier way of living, in which you actually make sure your body gets all the essential nutrients it needs, no matter how many days you have until your MVP rollout or how many VCs you're pitching that day, of course. Before founding Ample, Connor had gone through a very interesting journey in the health and fitness industry, starting with a degree in biology to owning a CrossFit gym and selling medical devices to hospitals. Connor finally realized that if he really wanted to make a difference, he had to move from reaction to prevention. And so he finally got behind listening to a couple of friends bugging him and he jumped right into building a health and nutrition company called Ample Foods. Ample Foods provides the perfect meal replacement for your busiest days when you don't have the time to cook a proper meal together for yourself. So tune in and join me today to listen to this week's episode to hear the second half of the interview where we dig a little bit deeper into all things of nutrition. So before we move on, I'd like to thank our sponsor Shape. As you know, Team Shape's been working on the 3D body scanner Shape Scale, and we're currently looking for new engineers in both hardware and software. If you're interested, or you know somebody that might be, you can head to our careers page at shapescale.com forward slash careers. Finally, if you guys like our podcast and enjoy tuning in every week, please don't hold back from giving us a five-star review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. It really only takes five seconds to do so, and it could go a long way in helping others to discover our wonderful podcast. And I'm, I'm assuming really like that right now your, your, your audience is really, you know, those everyday people that want to be a bit more healthy and mm -hmm. they, they don't have the time, you know, like some, you know, hardcore fitness junkies that, you know, can prep their meals, you know, yeah. the week ahead and, you know, make sure that they have, you know, a meal every two hours or so. Yeah, you know, it's a great point. And I mean, I think you're right. Because ultimately, if, if someone's so hardcore about nutrition, they'll find the time. And we're kind of going after the person who's who really does know that health is important, but they have their own life. They have their own life that's not related to health as well, which I will say is actually sometimes difficult when you actually talk to some of these like nutrition influencers, because a lot of those nutrition influencers are like, you know, I just would never use this because I have all my, you know, my, you know, I meal prep for four hours a day. And I'm like, that's cool. You know, and if that's your audience yeah. and of, of other people like that, that's that's great. Most people are not going to spend four hours a day or two hours a day cooking. And so have you found an influencer that really speaks on behalf of the average Joe? Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. They exist. Are. They exist. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think the, the, the problem, though, is that like the, this fitness influencer world, it's gotten to the point where the more hardcore you are, the quote unquote better you are. And so. I think that like it breeds this system of extremism, you know, so it's like keto is not extreme enough. So that now we're going to have carnivore diet. Right. And then we're going to prove how hardcore we are by like following the most hardcore diet, which is carnivore or, you know, the quote unquote opposite end. You go complete vegan and you prove to everyone how how hardcore you are on that side of things. And, and both of those extremes are the most vocal. And I think the, the problem is, is and like, why, why do you think that is? 
Is it because it is like the most extreme and sensational story to be a complete carnivore, to be like a complete vegan? So I think there's a number of factors. And this is a great question because this is the type of thing that I think about all the time. Because the thing that excites me the most is the psychology of how people eat and also the Mm. psychology of just why, why do people do the things that they do? And so for me, I think that this is a little bit more complicated. One, it's some of the people who gravitate towards those diets are actually dealing with some pretty, you know, severe health things, right? So you try certain things and you realize they don't work for you you try another thing you don't they don't work and so you actually have to box yourself in this corner because if you have some autoimmune issues you may literally only be able to eat meat and that's the only thing that you can deal with or you know you find that like you know hardcore veganism is the only thing that you can stomach because of whatever reason and so as a result you speak to other people you create this fanaticism because it's like hooray like this one diet has actually saved my life and because for people like that it literally is a it, mm. it feels like you know their lives are saved right whereas the average nutrition influencer who doesn't have that experience who might go for a moderate you know approach yep. their story isn't as knee-jerk so you know someone might say hey i did keto and you know because i got cancer and then mm. i became better again and i'm going to attribute the fact that i got better keto and i think that there's some decent evidence out there to say that that's true so because there's these hardcore problems that are actually being fixed by the more hardcore diets and i would say that those are the the things that actually get more publicity whereas majority of people don't actually have those problems the other thing that i would say is that i think that there's a decent amount of pride shame fear and guilt related to food and so the more of those that a person has like i think that the more i guess you could say identity is is tied up in what they're eating like for instance i wasn't i didn't eat paleo i was paleo right like it it was an identity you're saying like like your own identity my my own identity exactly what it's like I am paleo and I am a crossfitter not I do these things or I eat this certain way so because that kind of mindset is so ingrained Mm -hmm. and you take it on as an identity well first of all you know there's pride that gets kind of caught up in there as well because if people challenge your diet well they're actually challenging you so you get defensive or you get you know really excited and you start you know telling everyone you know you have even jokes that come out and say like hey how do you know a crossfitter does crossfit <laughs> don't worry they'll tell you you know stuff like that so but if someone also has you know the opposite thing which is that they have like a problem and they eat the wrong way then they get you know they feel the shame the guilt the fear whatever the anxiety but i would say that these that this same type of person who has a little bit more of the i don't want to say compulsiveness to them might actually gravitate more towards these things as well and when I say these people, I'm, I'm also talking about myself too. I definitely have fallen into every one of these categories over the years. So like, I'm not trying to be mm. judgmental here either. It's just how people are. And, you know, ideally what we find is that someone tries out one of these hardcore diets, if it, it either works or doesn't. At some point, I think it's important to kind of find some moderation in one's life because our whole lives should not be consumed with doing the quote unquote right thing and being healthy. Yeah. Our whole lives should have a balance. You know, that being said, there are some legitimate health reasons why someone might never be able to have gluten, for instance. If you have celiac disease or if you're dealing with mm. some other autoimmune issues, like you may never be able to, to do that. And that's just the reality. But you don't need to make it part of your identity. You don't need to make it, you know, part of like the, I don't know, like social justice warrior against gluten type of thing. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that there's probably more people out there that, you know, say they, they can tolerate gluten, but it seems like it's a much higher amount than it used to be like 10 or 20 years ago. Yeah. Well, so I actually do think that that's, that's probably a legitimate thing in the sense that we know that the way that gluten works is that it kind of, it disrupts our endothelial lining. Mm-hmm. Gluten is a protein and it's basically an anti-nutrient that is created by the, f- the food itself. You know, plants don't really want to be eaten. Like yeah. The purpose of plants creating fruit is to, for them to create the thing that they do want to be eaten, which is the seed so that someone can pollinate their seed somewhere else. But they don't want their actual, you know, stalk or stem or whatever yeah. to actually be eaten. So they, they create anti-nutrients 
like gluten, like lectins, like oxalic acid, like phytates. All these are anti-nutrients. And so the purpose of them is to actually make the person sick. So, you know, red beans, if you didn't actually soak them or cook them, they would actually be like kidney beans are pretty darn toxic if they're eaten raw. So, you know, things like gluten, they are legitimately unhealthy for people in the sense that they disrupt the, the gut lining and so therefore create a, uh, what are called gaps in their tight junctions. So it's almost as if it's, mm. it's like a leaky hose. So there's, there's things that are kind of leaking out of there. And so I think that there's good evidence to suggest that that one probably for a lot of people should you know, you might consider taking it out and seeing how you feel. Do you feel better? Do you feel worse? You know, so so I would say that, yes, that is actually probably something that's increasing over the last 10 or 20 years, but for good reason, because we actually have more of it in our diets over the last 10 or 20 years. Yeah, it's true. I mean, there's been definitely a move towards more and more carbs, actually. I yeah. mean, there used to be a craze of like not having any more fat. And then suddenly we found ourselves like fat-free foods that are like full of sugar, right? Yeah. And I think that the important thing to kind of realize is like foods are not inherently good or bad in the sense that they shouldn't have a moral judgment put on them and ideally they shouldn't you know tell you some social status that you belong to you know like for instance if you're if you're health conscious and you eat a like you shouldn't feel guilty because because you're eating ice cream around your friends who are also health conscious and then of course you also should gloat you know if, if if you're eating better than someone else so you know it's our own personal journey what we need to figure out is how healthy do we want to be let's figure out you know and, and maybe it's not we want to enjoy our lives a little bit more which i think you know if you take a zoomed out perspective you'd say well my mental health is really important too actually there's a funny anecdote in uh there's a guy named chris kresser who's got a good book and there's a patient who walked in and had a bunch of autoimmune issues and was on some super restrictive diet. And so his girlfriend actually broke up with him because like he wouldn't go out anywhere and he couldn't eat. And so, you know, his his doctor basically had him do all these things. And, and then all of a sudden, like like the patient got exasperated, went away for a few months, came back when was like totally healthy. And the doctor was like, what the hell happened? Like, <laughs> how are you so healthy? Did you do a specific diet? And he's like, yeah, I did. And he's like, what'd you do? He's like, the pizza and beer diet. And he's like, <laughs> what? Like, yeah, like, at some point, you just need to live life and have fun with your friends because that's very, very legitimate too. So to find a balance there, I think is, is, is important. So you believe there's like no, no ultimate golden diet for, you know, everyone out there, like for everyone, it's a little bit different and moderation is key as well, right? Yeah. Moderation is key. And I think that like, so my diet is, is, is different. I eat mostly meat and that's because I actually do have uh, some autoimmune things. I ate a salad on Monday and I know that something in the salad, I believe that the garbanzo beans just made me totally wrecked for the rest of the day. So I actually had very little productivity, but that's just me. There are certain things like avocados and chocolate that I don't do well on at all, but that's really w- weird for most people. I suggest, yeah, eat chocolate and eat avocados. But for me, no, but that's okay. And how do you keep track of that? Like, do you isolate like certain, you know, components of your meals sometimes, like just to figure out like how tolerant my, my gut can be to those? Yeah, you know, and that's the frustrating part. Yeah. It's, you know, it's because we usually don't have diets that consist of like a meal with a single ingredient. And you can, you know, definitively say, oh, well, apples, exclusively apples. And that's what I'm, you know, I'm intolerant of or whatever. So it does take a little bit of, you know, detective work, which can be a bummer. But once again, like most people aren't me. Most people are pretty fine with most things. I, I happen to be very sensitive about this. You know, one reason why I got into health in the first place was because I noticed how ridiculously affected I am by the foods that I I eat. I've always looked healthy, but because I 
feel so drastically different when I eat one food versus another. Like it's made it very imperative to me to actually、mm. figure out all this stuff at a, at a relatively early age. And was that like also like a big influence for for you, like to come up with like different versions of Ample? Yeah, I mean, you know, because I, I definitely relate to people who are who, who struggle on different diets because they're like, this is so hard. One of the reasons why we accelerated the the production of our Ample K was because my dad got diabetes, and so this was like he told me about this, and then like the next weekend I went to the metabolic Health Summit,、uh, which is a conference which is put on by a guy named Do- Dr. Dom Diagostino. So Dom has has been a friend of mine for the last few years, and so,、uh, so he put on this conference. I learned a ton about the keto diet, and potentially, you know, there, there's not as much long term studies on keto just because it's a very relatively new diet. But the existing like small studies are seeing very, very, really good results on potentially treating diabetes. And so I was like, Dad, just try keto. For a little bit, and you know, he's he's a pretty motivated guy, and so he's like, yeah, man, like whatever. Well, he didn't say, me, <laughs> yes, son, whatever. I'm totally down. But he loved it. But ultimately, he said the exact same thing. He's like, I also have a business. It's really hard for me to stick on keto. And I was like, fair enough. Let's let's make ample K. <laughs> And you think where do you actually see like the bigger challenge for you know like for our nation and for people in general? Is it really like changing their eating habits or making healthy food more accessible? That's a big question, and I think there's a few ways to think about it. If I so if I could swing a magic wand and make one change、mm-hmm. to do the most good, what I would do is eliminate food subsidies for corn, wheat, and soy. And I think that doing that one thing would even the playing fields because ultimately a lot of this stuff comes because we have artificially low prices. For those commodity crops, because and we've had them for you know the last sixty seventy years, and so because of this artificially low price, you then have large food companies like Kellogg or Kraft or whatever. They then have a surplus of really cheap ingredients. So now, if you're those companies, you're like, well, how do I create products and how do I market those products? Because the margin is really good. If we can get seventy percent margin on or ninety percent margin on X or Y product, all I really need to do is convince people that that is healthy, and then all I need to do is then get them addicted onto this. And then we'll just continue that for the next fifty years, and you know, here we are with our current health crisis. So you know, now we have a lot of education that's to the contrary. And the nice thing is that we now have things like grass-fed beef. We have a lot more education. So I think that the education component is really, really important. Like even us doing this podcast right now、yeah. is essential because you know, although it started with this government thing, I think it can change by consumer education because food companies are listening. Large food companies are, are listening. I mean, I've been to several conferences. With you know speakers of of Kellogg's and and Pepsi and Coke and their traditional businesses are all dying. In fact, the food and beverage industry is one of the most disruptive industries right now. In the sense that per year, something like seventeen percent of their market share is being lost to startups who are more you know health conscious. And so a lot of this is driven by the internet, the fact、mm-hmm. that we now have not just top down communication either from government you know food standards or from you know advertising on TV or from our schools, but it's actually instead by bloggers and. Health influencers and everything like that, and so although it's a more fragmented, yeah, but do you、um, think that's going to be enough to really even go mainstream, like to really also, you know, like I, I think like a big problem is also income level. Like I feel like low、yeah. income groups they don't have the education, and yeah, they don't also have the time to really prepare healthy food, yeah. So, so I think it's going to take time because I think that like there's always an adoption curve where it's a bell shaped curve where you have the early, mid, and late adopters and. For some of the middle and late adopters, you actually need a more viable economic incentive for that to happen. So, do you think like removing subsidies is going to be enough, or should we also have things like a sugar tax? To be honest, if it was me, I would say the government needs to do not more but less because、mm-hmm. the sugar tax 
it's basically we're already you know we're already subsidizing sugar if you just get rid of the sugar you don't need the tax because the, sh- the sugar price will already increase so you know if, if you do stuff like that like if you just take away those things you'll naturally find that the economy balances the, the thing is though it still it still requires time because you need a lot of time to switch let's say a corn field to a tomato field or whatever and that's that's another thing but and i would say as well that you know systemically the hard part is that our soil is actually being degraded by mono crop culturing one of the biggest concerns long term for the country is the fact that our soil quality is so degraded you can kind of think about it like the soil is this gut microbiome of the plant world right mm-hmm. where the uptake of minerals and vitamins is solely based on how good the soil is and the way that we do it right now is not sustainable and actually this is one thing that i'm very passionate about and, and no one really knows about yet which is that we have this kind of like meat is bad and, and animals are bad type of thing in the sense that like we shouldn't be you know raising them one thing that i think is really really important is for us to integrate animals and and plants again like for instance let's have cows let's have grass-fed cows but let's have them all on the same pasture because cows manure is one of the fastest regenerative agriculture techniques possible you can regenerate soil quality so quickly with a herd of cattle and you can also sequester Mm. a ton of carbon as well but are we going to have the space for it because right now cattle is already taking up a huge amount of space it's taking up a lot of plant-based food right well it's taking up a huge amount of space because we separate the two because we are separating the the wheat and the corn Mm. from the cattle which you'd say well okay actually both corn and wheat although they're less expensive are actually less spatially efficient than grass is grass itself is one of the most quick growing organisms ever so what what, what that means is that like one acre of grass can support a lot of a lot of cows versus one acre of let's say corn and the corn itself is also going to make the cows super sick i mean cows are not designed to eat corn so which is why they actually get like very sick and you actually have to kill them right before they would have died so i mean yes you can you can you can raise a cow like within around 16 months when it's fed on corn versus like 26 months when it's fed on grass but if you were to wait like 18 months that cow would be dead anyway because of what they're eating so you know i think from both an environmental as well as like an animal rights thing it would make sense and even and also from a health perspective i think it always makes sense more sense to have to have grass-fed animals you know once again though it's hard from the barrier of entry you know in terms of like you just can't tell that to yeah. a person who you know makes minimum wage so i think that you know we can do all we can i think that ultimately like i want to have a lot of compassion for for lower income people and say there's no there's no judgment if for right now they have to make do with what they have but but i think that you know in the long term if we can kind of think about this agriculture as a real thing and, and improve our biodiversity there, but also increase the education around it through, you know, means like podcast right here. And, and then also voting with your dollars, because that ultimately changes where the big food companies change their, their resource allocation. Like they, they don't, they don't want to die. Pepsi doesn't care if it sells a, yeah, a they just want to make money in a sense. Exactly. Right? They don't have necessarily a commission. No, exactly. They just need. So, but what they do is they have existing profits from Pepsi, but they're losing them. So they're saying, okay, how, how can we transfer that to new products as quickly as possible while still kind of milking as much profit that we can out of the existing you know, structure. So like they're changing right now, but we we as a consumer base need to demand those products faster so that they they can speed up that process as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm drinking bubbly here, which is a brand of Pepsi actually. I never realized until I, you know, checked the label. Yeah. Kind of like a Lacroix competitor, but like Pepsi because they have to catch up, right? <laughs> People are not drinking sugary soda anymore. They don't want to, you know, consume all the calories like through drinks, right? Exactly. Yeah. And um, if you had a time machine and you, you know, took a trip down, you know, 20, 2050, what would you expect to see? Like, do you think like we're still going to eat solid foods? Uh, expect or hope? Hope. Okay. <laughs> so maybe hope. And then maybe what do you think is really going to be the case? Yeah. <laughs> 
So I'm going to say I'm going to say hope first. Mm -hmm. I hope that it looks better in the sense that we we still we're still always going to have CPG products, consumer packaged good products like Ample. But I would say that I'm I'm hoping that we have more sophisticated ones. I think that you know we as a brand can become more sophisticated about what does health really mean. Let's do some experiments. Like let's research Ample's effects on consumers, right, Uh, from a physiological perspective, and make sure that we're always iterating and always improving the quality of our product based on the actual physiological effects that it has on people. So that when you say it's healthy, it actually is healthy. You know, that that I think is one thing that we could improve on in the sense that let's tighten the feedback loop between product and health. No one's really doing that right now. I mean, once nobody's again, running any clinical studies of like how like long term effects of their own foods. No, no. I mean, like if they get re- repeat purchases, it's all good. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, the lifetime value of a customer is relatively low for a lot of these customers or for a lot of these brands. So it's it's a lot more important for them to just get a product that tastes good and is perceived as healthy and has good margins. So I, I, would, I would hope that as we get better access to these things, and I will say, like, it's hard to run nutrition studies. Yeah. So nutrition studies are like notoriously the hardest thing to study. But I'm hoping that in the next 50 years or so, we get better at them to the point where like it would be really nice to be able to study something definitively and know whether it's healthy and then have the food industry in terms of its CPG products like reflect that. Secondly, I would love to have a system like we just talked about where there's actually about probably the same amount of like cattle in, in the US, but it's all shifted towards grass fed and pasture raised where we have a significantly reduced so amount. So you think we're still going to have cattle by then? Oh, definitely. Why would we not? <laughs> Well, you know, there's like certain companies out there trying to, you know, get rid of, yeah. you know, animal produce. Yeah, I think that's really short-sighted. Uh, in fact, actually, I want to plug a thing that's not mine. I think this is really, really important. So Diana Rogers and, and Rob Wolf are creating a documentary called The Sacred Cow, where they actually go into all of the the reasons why cows are really important and we need them. Because, I mean, think about it this way. Before Westerners came to the U.S., we had 50 million bison on you know the great plains mm-hmm. they were needed in the ecological system to maintain the balance right what we also needed was wolves and other predators to predate and eat these bison right what we have right now though is if we actually just get rid of all of it is a completely artificial system that's really really fragile that the less kind of i guess you could say like diversity that you have and the less tropic levels which is basically like herbivore to carnivore to higher carnivore to whatever the less tropic levels also the more fragile an ecology gets so for those reasons alone i think it's really important and then finally it's just by far the most nutrient dense stuff so you know i would i would posit but that do we really need more nutrient dense food well so i'm saying nutrient dense i'm not saying calorie calorie True. density so like you can have a lot of caloric density without any nutrients at all but i you know so i for lunch today i had liver which you know is not as popular but it's that's about- maybe another factor you know like how much food we actually waste you know like i mean how much of you know a cow do we actually yeah. consume how much is being sent like to other places yeah. where it's actually been eaten like china yeah, exactly and but like liver is like one of those nutrient dense things I would, I would probably say that it's the most nutrient dense food that you could possibly eat so that for me is great but so i guess you know back to the point i think that we would still have cattle grazing and i would also say that we would ideally have a lot more natural vegetables and natural fruits rather than grains being planted and then ideally as well we have our supply chains to the point where like you know right now i think that there's this like locally grazed and, and you want to like eat local which is great I, i don't think that that's going to be able to be sustainable because I, I don't think that the way that humans you know the fact that we're we're going to be more rather than less centrally located and so i think like the, the better mm. way to solve that is is to get more efficient with our supply chain you know make cars and boats and planes and trains that have better fuel efficiency to the point where our carbon footprint to ship something from australia to the u.s is actually not that much anymore and i frankly see that happening a lot more than just 
you know, making the whole locally grown thing a thing that's I think is always going to exist. But I think it's probably going to be like at most like 5% of the caloric value that people have. So I think that if we can just if we can improve the sophistication of that, it'll help quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of challenges around that. And then one final thing is I think and this is going to probably piss off a lot of a lot of people, especially in Silicon Valley. I don't think we're going to get far on the lab grown anything, lab grown meat, lab grown, whatever (laughs) hydroponics. It's just really inefficient considering the thermodynamics and like just realizing that, you know, the sun is so hyper efficient that it's two or three hundred times more efficient to grow something just outside than it is in a lab where you have to convert all this energy to electronics and then, you know, all this other stuff. So I'm expecting and I hope that we can just have more efficient and more kind of like integrated agriculture systems so that we don't have to necessarily worry as much about like innovating in the sense Mm -hmm. of because there actually is enough food on the planet. It's just that it's not allocated in, in the right way. And it's that is that we're unfortunately incentivizing the bad food with the both the government structures and the economic structures as a result. Right. And actually on that note, I still want to, I'm still kind of curious about you being here in San Francisco and maybe Silicon Valley, if you would consider San Francisco as part of that. But do you see like certain positives and negatives about being here? Like, did you ever think about, you know, being elsewhere located? To be honest, no. Like for me, this place is just too good in terms of the culture i think that the what do you think defines the culture around here yeah i mean you know there's the there's the startup crew mm-hmm. which is obviously that that's obviously there but i also think that like open to very new ideas and, and open to like mental and spiritual development as well i think that the kind of mental and spiritual development space is is, is going to i don't even want to find i'll say the word consciousness because i think it's really really important but i don't i don't see that happening all that all, all that many other places or at least i haven't found a lot of friends who i can kind of really talk about those subjects mm-hmm. with outside of the city. So to be honest, for me, I'm saying, but I can totally see us like if we ever needed to becoming more distributed around the country because it is expensive to hire here and and uh, and to build a business here, as you obviously know as well. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely challenging to be here, but lots of good positives around here as well. All right, I, I really just want to finish off with a quick fire round. Sure. So I'm going to ask you a few, you know, different questions and I really just want to get a quick answer from you, you know, out of the top of your head. You don't want to really think too long and too hard about those. They're really simple questions. You know, I just want to hear like what comes to your mind. Let's do it. Okay, so right now, if you take a look on your phone like do you have like any particular health or fitness apps installed i don't know no actually you know i don't have a oh yes a timer a workout timer and that's what you use like to go to the gym like to, to go in between sets or uh what do you yeah use so well? i use seconds plus uh-huh. or seconds pro i don't know but I, I i still do a decent amount of crossfit types of activity at the gym and so i need to kind of like but i create my own workouts so i, I program for myself so I'll, I'll just kind of like create a tabata timer or like a you know three rounds for time or whatever type of thing and, and i i have that for my fitness do you have like a regular fitness routine so the only thing that i'm regularly doing right now so i, I work out maybe two or three times a week and that's perfectly enough for me one thing that's and that's mostly resistance workouts. So yeah, so it's, it's a combination of HIT training, so mm-hmm. high intensity interval training, and then strength training. Mm-hmm. The thing that I'm I'm doing right now is a one by twenty squat program, which is just a single set of twenty squats. It's by far the most effective training program I've ever done, and I'll do that first, and then I'll do some kind of other type of compound movements. But the beauty of it is, although it's a terrible terrible set, twenty reps, yeah, a lot. it's yeah. a lot. But I, you know, I can increase my weight ten pounds every week basically without fail. So oh. uh, you know, at least for like eight weeks straight. So in the past, like the three or four times that I've done this, I've, I've increased like 70 pounds in like eight weeks. So it's, oh, that's incredible. Pretty, yeah. Yeah. So like right now I've, I've gone through from like 195 to like 255 in the last six weeks or so. And, you know, I'll, I'll probably stop around like 285. And what would be like your, your, your weight if you do just five reps? I don't know. I have no idea. I, I, I huh. really, I don't 
You never tried? I have not tried in years. My best squat back in the day was it was 405. And then my best like one by 20. I did 20 reps at 315. But I'm not I'm not like I used to be. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I'm totally fine with that. So, I mean, I, I enjoy Do that. Do you have like any goals right now in mind? Like, Yeah, I'll, I want to get uh, to 275 for 20 squats. And then after that, I'll probably want to snatch 230 again. So mm-hmm. I love Olympic lifts, you know, so so snatching 230 is, is really fun. That brings it actually to my next question. Do you have like a favorite workout? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, my, my two favorite movements are snatch. So squat snatch mm-hmm. and then muscle ups. So... If I could just do those two things all day long. Yeah, super effective. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're just, either of them is like a total body workout. And so both combined are fantastic. So they're my favorites. And do you have like any any particular habit in fitness and health that really, you know, changed up things for you in a positive way? Meditation. I assume that counts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that that, that counts. Like, do you, do you meditate in the morning or like at certain times of the day? Or? Uh, it depends on how much you want to get into this because I can go on this for hour. <laughs> this, is, this is the thing that I'm the most passionate about possibly like ever right now. So I meditate for an hour a day in the morning. Wow, one hour. Yeah. So last two mornings I woke up at five. Usually it's somewhere between five and six. And I have three segments. I do three segments and then, I, and then I, a fourth that's kind of interspersed. So the first segment is a loving kindness meditation where I kind of imagine love and kindness and gratitude towards myself as well as everyone else in my life. I usually start with the people that it's easiest to have loving kindness towards, then work towards people that are more neutral and then work towards people who I'm more negative on. So it's kind of like an active process of, mm. of, of loving even when it's hard. And so while that's happening, though, there naturally is there's negative emotions that come up as well when when those negative emotions come up i then clear them i I look at them i give compassion around them and then i basically breathe them out and i know that sounds ridiculous but like like i've kind of gotten to the point where i am very very good at identifying which negative emotion is where it comes from like did it stem from a six-year-old event or whatever like i'm pretty darn good at that now and to the point where i can i can kind of process most emotions pretty darn quickly which is really effective because i feel like there's a lot of meditation out there right now where we're only talking about basically mindfulness meditation which i think is very important but it's not all of it i mean if if you're mindful but you still have negative thoughts and negative emotions that are weighing you down it doesn't make the mindfulness as effective and i would also say that if you want to you know there's a there's a lot of this kind of like positive thinking and visualization meditation as well which i also do but if you're thinking about positive stuff but you also have this negative doubt or fear or anxiety or shame or anger in your mind as you're thinking about this the actual visualization process itself is is useless so for me it's loving kindness then then it's actual mindfulness meditation and i'll cycle between a few of them but whatever i'm kind of feeling like at the time and then i'll go to like a positive visualization thing where i kind of think about my day and my my month and my year and my five years and everything like that and kind of like not just think about but also sort of emotionally connect with the the future in a way that is that is exciting and then kind of like give thanks for that as well so that's kind of my, my whole process and all the time as these kind of negative emotions come I, I kind of deal with them and I let them in because I think it's important to kind of really let in those negative emotions and, and actually face them and work through them rather than just to kind of you know either bottle them up mm. or you know deny that they exist in the first place that's incredible and what would you recommend to you know any of our listeners that really would like to get into meditation but that really struggle to even make it beyond two minutes I would say I mean you can check out calm and headspace and everything like that but I w- what i would also say is okay a couple of other resources one is john cabot zinn check out any of his books he's the best and you know the other thing that i would say is actually like it's crazy but a lot of people when when you tell them oh you only have to meditate for five or ten minutes a day in their <laughs> in their mind they actually think okay great i can do this whenever but if you actually say no you have to meditate for a half an hour or 45 minutes or an hour well then that's actually not a small enough time where you can fit it into a random time you actually have to put it in your schedule and so sometimes for me i've said hey try a longer period of time and then if you get 15 minutes into your 
30 minute meditation, you're doing like 10 times better than you were before. So, you know, I guess in, in that sense, it's kind of setting a more audacious goal. But but the reason why is because it creates the intention in your mind to say, okay, this is a big enough deal that I'm going to put it in my calendar. And I'm going to schedule a real, real mm. chunk of time here versus right now, if we're just told, oh, you, you can do it whenever, but you're not going to do it whenever, because it's always the thing that you can very easily just say, oh, I'll do it another time or, I'll, oh, I'll find five minutes after dinner. And then you're like, oh, well, that's cool. I'll just find f- five minutes, you know, in the morning. And then you can always push it away. Yeah. I mean, it's really about having, you know, also that habit going on, you know, like where you really go every single day and have that time frame, you know, set aside. And if if you're really serious about this thing, which personally, I find that even more than nutrition, finding out how to be mentally clear and stable and devoid of negative emotions or having moved past and moved through negative emotions, which therefore like levels up your entire life. That to me is the most foundational aspect of health. And if you're serious about it, what I would actually suggest is a program called the Finders Course by a guy named Dr. Jeffrey Martin. I did this. It's where you do actually meditate for an hour a day and then there's additional like video lectures, which what he does is he actually walks you through 16 different meditative practices that work well for different people. Because just like nutrition, meditation is something where mm-hmm. is different for everyone you you might have a different meditative practice that might work better for you than it does for me and so he walks you through 16 of them over the course of 16 weeks and you have a system of accountability because you actually have like a small group that all holds each other accountable and you meet up once a week so he i think has the most sophisticated process on this ever so you know that's pretty much jumping into the deep end that that's actually what has also been helping me you know like just to have that level of accountability like yeah i I have a good friend and and she's like, she started like a meditation group and she's like texting everyone, you know, like every day, every morning. And then, you know, like we have weekly check-ins to, you know, discuss a bit about meditation. Totally. Really that's great. Yeah. yeah. You already have she, that, she's awesome. even asking me like every day, like, oh, have you been meditating? Yes, yes, yes. I have. Have you? Yeah, I have. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll yeah. also keep you accountable. And um, yeah, do, do you have any other books in general, like in fitness and health that you would recommend our listeners to read? Or even, you know, like any any blog or any other resource that you think is like super helpful? Well, so, okay, a little bit more. If, if you want to know about the nutrition side of things, I think that one of the best books I've read recently is Chris Kresser's stuff, Your Personal Paleo Code, I think is what the book is called. And then if you want something that's a little bit more like meditative slash spiritual, I'm a big fan of the Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu. And then in terms of like emotional wellness and well-being i would say power of vulnerability by brene brown so a lot of good books yeah those are those are i think my three and then in terms of fitness i don't really read fitness books because that's Mm -hmm. a little bit more of like an experiential thing where blogs and youtube videos are probably a little bit more helpful or just joining a gym right and my final question do you have like any particular brand in fitness and health that has been like an influence on you uh, that you really admire or follow tonal why is that because my friend Ali is the founder and he's a great guy and he introduced us. Yeah, it's an amazing product. And yeah, I mean, I think we just aired um, the episode actually last week. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Do you, do you want to still share anything with our audience? Sure. Yeah. So if you want to find out, find out about me or Ample, check out amplemeal.com and uh, check out Optimal Nutrition Simplified or Evolved, How to Live Well in the Modern World. That's going to be what we changed the, the podcast to. And what can they learn on your podcast? <laughs> all, all of the things that we've just been talking about. <laughs> That's great. Usually well, just, thank you so much for coming on the show Connor it's been awesome thanks so much for having me alrighty and that pretty much brings our today's show to an end as usual we do have everything on our show notes everything that's been mentioned on the show at 20minute.com 
fitness. And again, if you like our show, if you enjoy tuning in, don't hesitate to leave us a review or better yet, a five-star review. And also do give us an email, do tweet to us. We would love to hear from you what you think about the show. And also if there's like a potential guest that you would like to see on the show. Thanks again. And thank you also to our wonderful producer, Lila Lasso. It's been a great show today and I hope I see you here next time. 